0: Bruce Larson, UPC's senior pastor from 1980 to 1990, passed away on December 15th. In honor of him, we're posting several of his sermons from his years at UPC. A beloved pastor and friend, Reverend Larson impacted countless lives, and his legacy of books and sermons will continue to share his wisdom and love. This morning, the good news is being lived by you and people around you. The good news is being sent out from this church by the young people you see who have led us in worship. The good news will be preached momentarily, but now hear the good news as God has written it to us, the first letter of John. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not live according to the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar and his word is not in us. Let us pray. Lord, what good words. What good news. There we believe how great you are in your love toward us. And now, Lord, bless the foolishness of preaching which you have ordained that you may speak a particular word different to each one who hears this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. For many years. A dear friend of mine ran a Christian halfway house in Brantford, Ontario, Canada, and people came there for whom life had become intolerable. They were not ready yet for uh, institutional living, but they would come there and spend six, eight, ten, twelve weeks in this place that used the very best psychological methods known then, but mainly it was a community of love where people lived in the reality of Jesus Christ. And almost everyone that I knew came away from that place different, whole, and in their right mind, knowing who they were and ready to return to life a new person, a new being. Over the fireplace in the main room of this farmhouse, which was the main building, the director, Ralph Howlett, had a sign written which expressed what was his conviction about the nature of illness and health from a spiritual basis. It's the topic for our sermon this morning. The sign written big for all to see who came was, do you want to be right or well? He said, I am convinced that this is the basic cause of most of the people who come here for whom life has caved in, for whom life has no meaning, for whom life has lost its meaning, people who are lonely and estranged and wandering in life. He said, most people come because they simply can take no blame for what has happened to them. It's always somebody else's fault. They never did a thing wrong. He said, when people begin to live in the reality of God's love and presence in Jesus Christ, he said, the miracle that takes place is that people, when they feel loved, can then make the choice of whether it's still important to be well or, can they, or to be right or can they now choose to be well. In this series of sermons that I'm preaching, we're, we're thinking about the new being. If anyone be in Christ, he or she is a new being, a new creation. We're not thinking about it in, from the point of view of your beliefs. The new being believes what? Well, you can hardly improve on the Apostles' Creed. We know what basic biblical truth is to believe in your mind and heart. But we're saying, what is that? How does that being behave who has now found in their innermost being the good news that God loves you in Jesus Christ, unconditionally, unreservedly. What is that behavior which is so unmistakable that anyone of any faith or no faith can look and, like all of creation, say, my goodness, I can't believe that this is what God had in mind for people to be and to do. Well, let me suggest to you that one dimension Uh, I've learned from this friend of mine in Brantford and other friends that the question, is it becoming easier for you or me to say I was wrong, becomes a dimension of wholeness and health. People who have discovered God's love are finding it never easy, but easier to say to a neighbor, to a friend, to a child, to a parent, to a spouse, to a stranger, yea, to an enemy, yea, to God himself, our ultimate friend, I was wrong. And then we can say, yes, of course you were, and it's okay. But the basis, you see, of the the basis of what God has in mind is that God made us for love. He made us for fellowship. He said, my ultimate purpose for you is that you may be caught up in a whole new family, which has cosmic consequences. I love Ephesians, where the writer of that marvelous epistle kind of speaks about a great dance of life where Jesus Christ is the center and each of us in our uniqueness becoming more and more different than anyone else, because this glorifies God, we come together in a great fellowship of love, belonging to the Father, to the Son, bound together in the Spirit and belonging to one another. Ephesians writes, you remember, for you are no longer strangers and sojourners. And You go back to um, 1 Chronicles and the, the cry back in the Old Testament is, Oh, God, we are strangers. We are sojourners before you. And then the new covenant comes, the ultimate good news. and The cry goes out, no longer, no longer. We are no longer strangers. We belong. And this is is the ultimate of what being a whole person is. And we know that lies and posturing destroy fellowship. Psychologists have done an interesting study, and they're convinced, this group of, of scientists, what makes a marriage boring? Now, nobody here has a boring marriage, but you've heard of people that have boring marriages. You can tell them the good news. When a husband and a wife begin to hold back little bits of their life, consciously begin to conceal, not gross sins, those too, but little things, little secret places, Then when you come together, you're so afraid that this might be revealed, we begin to be on guard. And the first thing you know, the spontaneity is gone, communication is gone, and fear and boredom and enervation come in. Somehow, lies and posturing are at the very heart of breaking fellowship. And God's ultimate goal for you and me is fellowship. He made us one for another. Now, let me suggest to you that what sin is basically... If God's ultimate goal for us is to be made whole people, new beings that anyone can discern, whether they like what you believe or not, they say, this is what life is meant to be. What then? Then sin must be the thing that blocks that. And let me suggest to you that I believe that sin is, the, is pretended innocence. People for whom it is so important to be right in all of their relationships. This is the ultimate uh, sin that blocks us. A very wise theologian in our day has said, to sin is man's condition. The Bible assumes that we're all bad. The good news is that nobody's good. We're all bad. To sin is man's condition. Uh, To pretend that he's not a sinner, this is man's sin. To pretend that there is nothing wrong with you is the ultimate sin. Um... People have asked me, and I'm sure you've been asked the same thing as a Christian, what is the unforgivable sin? What is the sin for which you cannot be forgiven? Now, I've wrestled with this, as you have, and I come out with one thing. If you believe there is no sin that you can ever have committed or are committing or will commit, that if you repent and believe that you cannot be forgiven, if you believe that, basically in the good news, what is the unforgivable sin? I believe the unforgivable sin is the sin against the Holy Spirit. What, and the Bible says this. And what is the Holy Spirit's job? His job is to convict us of sin. Every time you do something bad, off-center, destructive, minimizing against someone, he's there doing his job saying, Larson, that was not a good thing you did. Now if I say, well, under the circumstances, well, do you know what he did to me? Well, now, just a moment, and as soon as I begin to defend myself, I sin against the Holy Spirit. He says, no, no, that's not so. You see, as, as people begin to walk in the reality of God's love and grace, uh, then the thing that happens is I begin to open my heart to my brother. Some years ago, one of the great revivals of all time took place in East Africa. Out of that revival have come some of Africa's present great leaders, Bishop Festo Cavendry, many of you know him. People who, when the churches of East Africa and the people of God began to sense the presence of God there, the love of Jesus Christ, and the Spirit had his work, the manifestation was that people would stand up in churches like this and say, My brother, listen, for a long time I've had a resentment against you, or I failed you, or I lied to you back there. And as the lies and the pretense left God began to give fellowship and love, and out of that have come transformed lives that still continue. You've seen this in college campuses. When I was a student at a neighboring, somewhat less spiritual school, Wheaton College had a revival like that. Where all of a sudden God began to move, and it was no longer important for students or faculty to to pretend they were right. They could begin to say, no, listen, I've been wrong toward you. And the person said, yes, I know you have. Forgive me. Of course I do. Uh, there are two basic ways to live life, the Bible suggests. And my two uh, examples or models for this from the, new, from, the, from the Bible are Aaron and David. Now, you remember Aaron was, brother, it was Moses' brother. And uh, when finally Aaron and Moses lead the people out of the Egypt into the wilderness on the way to the promised land, Moses says, the time has come. And God is now going to give us his guidebook for living. The rules by which life can be filled and full. So he goes off to the smoking mountain, of which we know a good bit these days. And he goes off to, to, to receive from God the gift of the law, the manufacturer's manual for how we are supposed to function. He's gone for a long time. When he returns, he finds the people in a drunken orgy worshipping a golden calf they have built. And this is now the Free Larsen translation. He throws the tablets down, he says, Aaron, what in thunder have you done? You are God's servant. You are my brother. You are the leader of his people. God himself has led us out of Egypt. He's led us to this place. He will lead us on. Why do you have why have you made this golden calf for the people to worship this Baal God? Aaron says, Now, Moses, just a moment. Just them, um, just a darn minute. Are you going to believe what you see? Or I'm about to tell you is the, as the truth. Give me, a, give me a chance. Let me tell you what happened. Moses, we missed you so much when you were gone. Those days went on. We were terrified. We thought the wolves must have eaten you. We were so in despair. We said, what will we do? Moses, God's servant, is dead. So you know how you do when you're in despair. We threw a party. little drinking. little orgying, Things got out of hand a bit. And finally, uh, we threw all of our rings in the fire. And guess what? Out came this golden calf see poor tragic Aaron it was not that he sinned and made an idol that's bad enough but when he was found out by God and by Moses he said do you think what you see is what happened let me tell you what really happened and he began to justify himself and to be right and he missed the whole purpose now by way of contrast here is King David King David, whom God said, this is a man after my own heart. And who was King David? He had a Ph.D. in sin. There is nobody that could ever be any worse than David. He was a liar, a murderer, a thief, an adulterer. Is this why God said he is my, a man after my own heart? Of course not. He was so bad that God said, no, no, David, you can't build a temple. Anything you build on me is going to be very suspect. Let's wait a while and wait a generation. No, no. God never winks at sin. But he said, listen, as bad as you are, this man knows how to deal with his badness. He doesn't hide it. When my spirit convicts him, he confesses before the people. He confesses before me. And he dares to believe that I'm a God who can even forgive this. And he celebrates. And he makes restitution where he can. And our very Lord himself is, you know, out of the seed of David. He is David's own heir. And God is pleased to be known as the God of David. Why? Because David understood something about the grace of God that says, when you begin to pretend you're better than you are, you cut off the marvelous spiritual inheritance that God has for you. Our text this morning is, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and beyond. Forgiveness is not enough. You can be forgiven but uncleansed. If we confess our sins, you are forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. But the act of confession opens the door for cleansing. And you can go on as though you were washed whiter than snow and begin to live again for God and for your neighbor. And people say, well, why is confession important, confession to God or to man? If God knows all about me, why must I tell him the bad things about me or why must I tell my brother? Tragically, we have a parable in our time that shows something of the lack of, I think, American Christianity in recent decades. President Nixon is a tragic figure. Why? Because he was a bad man No worse than most of us here, better than some, I suspect. But when this man who took an oath to uphold the laws of our land was caught breaking that oath, which he kept reminding us many presidents have done before and weren't caught, he had the misfortune of being caught. Now, at that point, what happened? Why did the American people suddenly grind their teeth and rage against him because he was so bad? I don't think he was all that bad. A lawbreaker, yes. Yes. But the more he maintained he was innocent, you remember the line, I'm no crook, you see? The more he said, of course you are. And what do you think would have happened if on the day of his resignation he had said instead, listen, to the American people, to you and me, I did a bad thing. I shouldn't have done it. I broke faith with you. I broke my vows. I know it doesn't matter whatever anybody else did, I should not have done this. What should I do? And I believe the American people would have said, oh, stay on, it's okay, Who's uh, who's without sin? You see, his offense ultimately to us was an offense at a pretense of innocence. And that's why we said, no, out. Why confession? Because somehow, if you know that somebody very dear to you has committed the ultimate sin against you, and you know that they know that you know that they know, and so on, it's not good enough until that person comes and says, I did a bad thing. And then you can say, Yes, I know. It's okay. I forgive you. But the unspoken confession stands as a barrier to relationships. Speaking of the East African revival, one of the great uh, figures over there is Norman Grubb, who was the uh, head of a worldwide evangelization crusade. And he tells being there and having his life changed by God, this missionary man, missionary like our missionaries going out this summer. In the middle of this East African revival, he saw people walking in the light. Loving one another, loving God, having open fellowship. And out of that fellowship, life came. And uh, Norman says he was convicted about being mean to his wife. And so in a fit of being convicted, he kneels down. He said in his hut one night over there saying, Lord, I have failed my wife, Pauline. I have been mean to her. I have withheld my love from her. And he confessed a long line of of sins. And finally, he thought he heard the voice of God say, Norman, don't tell me. I told you, go and tell her. See, this is the whole point. God convicts. We tell God, yes, you're right. I did this. Then he says, now, if you can, go and make it right with your brother or sister. Don't don't maintain your innocence. You do at a great cost. God's gift to us, then, in Jesus Christ is not the gift of innocence. Innocence is no longer a possibility for any of us. Many of us have believed that when you're born again and filled with the Spirit, now you can return to a pristine state where where you're a sinner emeritus. Oh, I used to be bad, but now I walk with the Lord. The Bible says, no way. The gift God gives us is the gift of responsible guilt. If you really believe how extraordinarily God loves you, then you see no one can judge you god has set you free you can begin to open your heart to brothers and sisters and you can be well instead of being right this is god's wonderful gift i see it in my own life all the time short while ago my wife and i had a terrible disagreement she said i had done something said something very ugly to her and i said how could i do that i love you so much don't you know and i defended myself and for 2 days things were not pleasant in our home and uh, i think of you know uh, my, my big cop-out is to say but all I said was <laughs> is your mother coming again <laughs> all I said was and this crazy person got mad you see someone said to me you know what your problem is Larson you judge other people by their actions but you judge yourself by your intentions well I never intend evil to anybody and my wife said you said a bad thing to me I said no no what I really meant was After two days of of icebergs and things, I said to her, you know what? I said a bad thing to you. She said, yes, you did. Thank goodness you admit it. And love came back. But you see, why is it so hard for me to say I did something bad? I never meant to. True, but I did it. And uh, uh, why is it so difficult? You know, I love to forgive her. I don't get much of a chance, but uh, you see, this is the thing that breaks fellowship. When you can say, forgive me. We took a group of pilgrims to the Holy Land two years ago, Keith Miller and I. And uh, uh, on the last leg of our journey, we had uh, two of our party. We had about 125 in our party, and two of them got lost in Dobrovnik, Yugoslavia. And we got back to the ship we were on. This is toward the end now. And these two lovely, bright, young, executive-type girls, young women, both about 25, were missing. All the tags were on the ship there, and here was the ship ready to sail, and these two young women were missing. Well, I was in a panic. I was sure the white slavers had them, or they'd been hit by a truck or something, because they are very, very responsible people. We'd come to know them. Well, we finally um, got off the ship. The first mate and I went into the old city, couldn't find them, came back. An hour and a half later, they came, and just one was just distraught, saying, we, our clocks got wrong, different shore time than ship time, we couldn't speak the language, we missed the buses, and I have robbed a, a, a whole shipload of people of an hour and a half of their last day on the tour in Venice. And uh, just went to her cabin in tears of shame and humiliation. The other, her other roommate said, this is the dumbest tour I ever was on. If they had organized this thing right, I would have gotten the message. I'd have been there. I'm a victim of the poor organization of this trip. Now, 498 people had got the message right, but she didn't. And amazing thing happened. In The next 24 hours, one by one, dozens, I suppose a 100 people, went to the cabin, said to the one who was weeping in shame because she was so embarrassed, Hey, it's okay. I made a mistake once, too. Um... <laughs> We love you. Don't worry about it. We'll be all right. And one by one, she gave them the gift of letting them forgive her. We all love forgiving people. With forgiveness comes love, and the love flowed. Meanwhile, back in her roommate's life, she said, Why does nobody love and forgive me? How can you love and forgive somebody who was not wrong? And there she stood, absolutely right and unloved, and the wrong one received the love and forgiveness. And there's a parable there. Martin Luther says, you've heard me quote him, love God and sin boldly. Not a call to license, he says, don't make the point of your life not being bad, not making a mistake. Make the point of your life loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Your neighbor is yourself. And then he says, uh, you know, you will sin. When you do, believe that you're forgiven. Claim it. Live in it. Ask God's forgiveness, the forgiveness of your neighbor, and life moves on. Why was David a man after God's own heart? Because he believed, as you can believe, that he is loved unconditionally by God. The great good news that these young people incarnate as they go around the world from this church to meet with Christians and non-Christians around the world is the news that you are loved unconditionally by God. Your sins past, present, and future are forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, no man can judge you. Therefore, it's not all that important to be right. God says, you're better than right, you're loved and forgiven. Therefore, walk in the light as he is in the light that God's fellowship may abound unto all the uttermost parts of the earth. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, help us to believe the good news and to live the good news in our relationships that we may be that new being for whom all creation stands on tiptoe to behold to the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen.